So it's it's great to see you again. And we were just we were just talking offline about how when your the last time that we sat down and we had conversation, we were talking about how you, your experiences were when you were a child and as you were you were growing up and you had the experience that I recall at least that stood out to me of your grandmother and the was it like what would they call like the robbers or somebody who was running away at that time and found refuge in your grandmother's not you know, even a robber just that innocent person in the wrong place at the wrong time wrong place at the wrong time but you know nevertheless on the other side of the law it seemed yes. and running you know running you know for cover and found cover and refuge in in your mom's and your grandmother's like kitchen you know when you're there you're watching this and you know, it's one thing to have this sense of, you know, compassion and empathy for people when, you know, you're a third party to a situation. You're removed from it, detached from it. But it's a whole other when you are being directly impacted now and you stand to lose something by being compassionate. And something's now on the line. There's like skin in the game, right? Everybody changes a little. And you saw that a level of compassion that, that stays constant even in the in, in the moment where you know you're directly involved and then the probably the more intense one was like when you you were at work that time and held up at gunpoint and you felt you, you talked about having the sense of calm which some would say is like rooted to courage but i see it more rooted to compassion or maybe it's the same thing now and and they feed off of each other and then there you are the very one who is the aggressor, the very one who is the oppressor, it seems in that case, becomes the subject of your compassion. And, you know, do you feel like those kind of experiences maybe really like intensified and, and really played a role in shaping sort of who you are and how you are? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I, but I also think, first of all, I believe compassion can never have negative consequences, ever. Nothing bad can ever come of having compassion. It's just such a beautiful, energetic emotion that exudes out of a person. So that, that's the first thing that I want to say. But I also think that the, the, the key for me is you can be compassionate. Like in that situation where there was a gun to my head and it was life or death, literally. I, I could get killed or I could survive. But that was it. The key in, in bringing the compassion together was forgiveness. When I looked at him and I just, whatever the outcome was going to be, I knew I was going to be okay, but whatever the outcome was going to be was complete forgiveness. There was no agenda. I wasn't saying, I forgive you, so save my life. It was like, authentic from my heart, unconditional, whatever happens, I forgive you. Mm -hmm. And I think, that, I think that's the key. I think yeah, yeah. unconditional forgiveness in a situation. I read something I recently that spoke to empathy is, is to feel someone else's pain and to put yourself in their position, but compassion is the, is empathy and mobilized. It's empathy with an action or a solution. And so I feel like in hearing what you're saying is, you know, compassion, the, the act of forgiveness within compassion is the action, right? That's the action or the solution, whatever it is. So, yeah, it just kind of pieces together. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. In that situation. And for sure, like, were those experiences I had to date, did that form my foundation? And 
I think I said this before, or I've said it a lot, but particularly that one where I, I forgave the gunman, I believe it was a portal to who I was meant to be. It was the door opening saying, okay, now we can show you the way of, of where we always knew that you were going to go, if that makes sense. I, I think all of my past experiences, all of my past lives, all of my past everything culminated in that moment and said, the door is opening for who we know you are, who you want to be. So I do, I, I think the foundation was there, the door just had never been opened that I could actually walk through it. And I think that was allowing me to walk through. So, so that's interesting right there that you say that because, you know, that's the breakthrough, right? And before the breakthrough takes place, you're still standing on the other side of that, let's just say the door, the door mm -hmm. opens. Uh, and this happens for many of us. I think, and this is the point of what we're here to talk about, really, is that quite often people want to have a breakthrough. It's, it's not a, it's a good thing waiting on the other end. We hear about it all the time. But when we're standing on the other side of that door and we have to choose to, to walk through that door, we have to choose to, to act on that breakthrough, right? The breakthrough doesn't come to us. We got to go to it, right? Yeah. When, when you saw that moment and, and you say you had these thoughts of, well, everything that has happened in your past brought you there and it's culminating, still, there had to be a, a feeling of unknown on the other side of that. But it didn't matter. Oh, you mean you mean in the moment or do you think when sort of that that opening happened for me, but I didn't realize it had happened to me until years later? Yeah, it's a yeah, retrospective moment. Retrospect and introspection. I can go, you know what? I think that was the moment. That was the moment. And like I've just had the most mind-blowing aha moment while I was listening to you. Why do I go out and sleep on the street sometimes? Or why do I decide to camp out in the backyard? Because I believe you have to understand another person's story. And I think it's like it's always the coming back. I always have to come back to that moment of complete empathy, understanding, and forgiveness. So I think that is the foundation of that formed the foundation. I, I, I always want to try and understand someone who I can't possibly understand because I don't live on the streets. I don't beg for money. I don't have to prostitute myself. But I want to you know, understand. You know, you just reminded me of a time I was speaking to a person who's a lawyer. And she was talking about how she was in family law and she was looking to potentially, it's like, I don't know if this is for me, this is what I want to do. And, you know, the, the things that they see and deal with in family law. And, and then there was a, a larger question, like, is law even for me? Like, what will make me happy? All those questions. And, and, and she was standing at the, you know, at the, at the, at the, at the cusp, at the edge of making a decision, but not yet wanting to make, to take that next step, not ready to take that next step. And she's, we were talking about like, well, what's the, what's the way? How do I, what's my next move? What's my next step? And I tend to say like what you just said, which is, you know, performing exercises is what I call them. You know, so to me, like, you know, when you go sleep in the street, you know, you have a home, but you go sleep there. Why? I feel like it's an exercise. You exercise these other areas of your, you know, your, your compassion and who you are. And by exercising those and strengthening those, let's just call them muscles, right? They prepare mm -hmm. us for those times. 
that we're really going to need to know, need to understand, need to empathize, need to have compassion, need to forgive, all these things. Um, but through exercise, so I told her, I said, you know, maybe you need to think about doing something where you have to push through. So what's your limit on push-ups? You know, I just started somewhere random and she's like, I don't know. I said, go find your limit and then do one more. Get yourself to do one more. Or, you know, in my case, what I did is I jumped off a bridge, like bungee jumped. I jumped, I felt like I needed to face fear. <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> I, I, I'll go seek a thrill or seek a fear and I'll go, let me face, let me exercise that side of me. Yeah. So, you know, these all seem to be like, these experiences seem to be exercises almost. Mm-hmm. Exercises yeah. for you to develop your, your compassion and like you said, to bring it all through. But but before we go on, I wonder, because this is all about breakthrough and we really want to understand this part, is that before you can do it for others, do you feel though you need to do it for yourself first? Forgiveness, compassion, empathy, kindness, love, friendship, grace, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so if, you seem like a best friend. You know, I, the one thing I've always said is if I had to meet me, I'd want to be my friend. Like, I'm a nice, I'm a good person. I'm a fun person. I'd want to be my friend. How many people would say that about themselves? Yeah. I actually use that as an exercise sometimes in counseling, especially when I remember was talking to this young man and he was telling me about his girlfriend's negative self-talk, particularly around her body image. And we see this, unfortunately, a lot with our, our youth. And he's like, I, I see this and I don't want to shame. He was very aware of not wanting to shame her about that because, you know, she really is expressing how she's feeling. And so I said, well, why don't you just say, hey, don't talk about the girl I love like that and just kind of make it lighthearted, but really send a clear message. And he's like, you're right. He's like, he's like, she wouldn't talk to someone else that way. Why is she or about someone else that way? She's so loving but she talks to herself that way. So it's it's a really good exercise at flipping the switch because we all do that. We all have this kind of like negative self-talk that just, we just tear ourselves apart so much, right? And if you're more on the perfectionist side, it's even worse. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of validity to that exercise. Nicole, do, do you ever feel like, I mean, if we meet you today, um, obviously we would say, yeah, Nicole is Nicole's best friend. She She's, she likes herself. She's, you know, all that. So, but did Nicole ever have moments where she had to work on liking herself? She had to work on forgiving. Um, I knew you were going to hit Muhammad because I was going to make that distinction. Okay. Well, so you, yeah. Like, so. You need to be relatable to be honest. Right. And, and if, if we're going to talk to people and, and our viewers are going to look at it going, Nicole doesn't get me. Nicole's never had my problem. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you look at Nicole, Nicole, she's got it put together and there she is changing the world. But before she could change the world, she had to do something for herself. What was that and where was she then, right? And I think that's a, before we get to the other part, because I really want to get to the stuff that you're doing today, which is amazing. It's it's groundbreaking. And and I want people to know that they can do these kind of things coming from a starting point, but they don't realize your starting point. A lot of people don't realize beneath the, the, the iceberg, right? You know, beneath the tip. And I really want to give us some insight into that, if you're willing to share. I'm willing to share, but, but I want, what I want to go back to is, yes, I, I and I, I mean it in the most humble of ways, but I, I do like myself. And 
I would, I do want to be my friend. Like I, 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 I think I'm a great person. That's not to say that I think I'm a great person all the time. Um, I have self-doubt and self-loathing and self-hate and, and, and all of those things that happen. Really? Yeah, of course. And that's why these things are practices. Right. That's what uh, metta, which is which is which is um, love and kindness. That's a practice. That's why compassion is a practice. That's why when you do these meditations, it's a practice. It's because we are always growing. We are never overall. I might think I'm a great person, but but that's just like looking at um, you know looking at a, a a kaleidoscope. The picture overall is beautiful. I love that picture, but there are prisms inside of there that are that are fractals and 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 fragments and broken and 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 when you look in deep, those pieces need work sometimes. And mm -hmm. I'm not that great on self-love. Overall, I like who I am, but I'm not that great on self-love. And I, there's an inner critic inside of me and, and all of these things. The difference is I know when I'm starting, when the stories are starting and they're starting to make me feel bad, mm -hmm. I know how to say time out. Yeah. What's the story I've been telling myself right now? So yeah. talk about, can you can you explain that a little bit in better? better yeah, I don't need to have like details of the the situation but how can you tell like what what's the what does it feel like what um, when it starts feeling like when well this is i mean this is i i've been a mindfulness practitioner for a long time this is what mindfulness is all about so mindfulness is knowing what's what's happening in the body and mind at any given moment so it's that awareness momentary awareness um i can be lost in a story and suddenly i realize i'm feeling my heart is like feeling sore or maybe I'm tingling or you know, and then I'm aware of that. And then I went, oh, I've just been, I've just been in a story for 10 minutes. And I've been, been believing the story, you know, and particularly as lawyers. We all have the woulda, coulda, should if you have an argument with somebody and then you're driving home and go, oh, I should have said that next time they happen. I'm, I, I, you know, and you do that. Where you are is you're in, you in no man's land because the, the argument is done. You know, so it's, it's all happening over here, and that's that. This is where all our problems start yeah. because we're not believing that. But if we're able to say, "Whoa, whoa, hang on a second, I'm just having an argument, an imaginary argument with an imaginary person who doesn't even know I'm arguing arguing with them at the moment." But what I know is I'm getting angry. So when Mohammed says, hey, you were five minutes late for the interview, I'm going to pound you because I'm I'm really amped up from the argument I had with the imaginary person on the way here. Yeah. So that mindfulness that you're talking about, that's key. That's a huge key to being able to then move forward. Mm -hmm. what, what, what do we say? Did you realize, I mean, here we are, we all, I think, all three of us here when we're talking, we practice mindfulness on some level and we all, there's not one person I've met who doesn't, you know, for a moment forget where they are and loses their sense of mindfulness. So we all do it, but we're aware of how to kind of switch ourselves back. Like you just said, yeah. you know, you're, you're like, mm, I, I, this is, that's that feeling. And then I say to myself, but what happens is like, do you, can you go back to a time where you weren't mindful? And you didn't even know how to, like, you didn't know that you weren't mindful. Yeah, I can give you an really? example. Yeah, I can give you an example. It happened just a few days ago. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. 
and, and but the difference is I realize that I lost my mindfulness and I go back and correct it. And that's yeah. the difference. It's going back and correcting it, apologizing, being accountable. So um, I so what happened? Um, I at uh, the bank. I needed. I've got this retreat happening, and I thought I really need a good credit card because you know I don't have a travel credit card, and I want to do. I wanted to get a, a credit card. And um, when I went to the bank, they said, "Oh, we don't do." And I went with my documents and my master business, you know, license and all the things that they usually ask for. And I went into the bank, and they said, "Oh, we don't do this. We don't do it in person anymore. We're um, online. So just call this person. She does our credit card applications. Call this person." And she can, she'll, she'll help you out. So I um, call her, I leave a message and she writes an email to me and she says in the email, um, I you know, I received your, uh, your telephone call or your voice message or whatever. Um, please will um, complete the self-network assessment form, you know, and uh, once you've completed that, I can see how I can help um, with your credit card. And I don't know what it was, but something triggered inside of me. And I was like, no, I'm not. You you haven't even greeted me as a person, but all you want is my 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 network. And then once you've got my network, you'll talk to me. And so I I wrote back. I wrote this email to her, and no, th this isn't this isn't good enough. And she called me. <clears throat> I I like I started shouting at her, saying, "You you in the." service industry and how dare you just pe treat people like a number and you don't even know what I want this for. And, uh, she was a manager and she, but she, wasn't, she wasn't apologizing to me. She said, well, that's how we do it. And she said, you know, I deal with many lawyers. And this was the next week. She said, I deal with many lawyers and they're very busy people and they don't like telephone calls. They just like emails. So I said to her, please don't tell me about lawyers. I train lawyers. And and so she triggered me and I was so mean and I was so angry. And then I just, my last sentence to her was, you know what, I'll decide if I want to do business with you or not. And I, and I put the phone down and I was so angry and so triggered. And then I could hear my thoughts going, who the hell does she think she is? And I'm giving them business and I'm the client. And, 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 and then I realized and I felt such shame because it was you better than this, Nicole. Okay, you so stop right there. You had that moment still. You right there, just before that, you felt shame. Like some people, they don't feel that shame. They're like, "I'm right," and then it keeps going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, and it, it just spirals. So, like you know, it's like a, this. It's like a there's like a gravity to it almost. Like it attracts more energy. Yeah. And then you happen to at least be in that moment, say yeah. by yourself, that you didn't have another trigger. And people have like 20 triggers coming at them at a time. Like your, your kid could have walked in and had put mud on the carpet. <laughs> yeah. And then it just keeps going. And then there's a phone call from a collector, uh, whatever. And then the call from someone trying to sell you a credit card now. You know, like imagine it just keeps going. And that's what I find usually happens out there. People are being bombarded by these triggers constantly. Yeah. Don't get that moment to just... You what know, I find like in that is because I be that person, I'd have those fights in my head often. Right. And, um, and, and I think you tapped into like Nicole's visceral response or embodied response to a trigger was a little bit more subtle and she's picking up on that, but other people experience it the way you just described it, like really fiery, super, that was me racing thoughts, racing, yeah. racing, racing. 
And so one of the, two of the things that I've learned in navigating this in the journey of mindfulness and also like helping other people learn it too, is when we have that kind of emotive reaction and we're in these head fights in our head, that is a, that is a telltale sign to stop. Wow. <laughs> that is the sign. And okay. when the story is going in our head is going and focusing on something in the past. So like after that phone call, reminiscing about that all day and just really brewing in that, you know, that's in the past now. So when your brain is fixated on the past, brain, brain is fixated on the future, like I'm going to get them or next time I see them, I'm going to do this. When you go to that, whether it's out of anger or out of anxiety, you know, we're, we're misaligning ourselves because we're, we're, when we live in the past, we can, um, depression. And when we live in the future, we can invite anxiety, even if it starts as an angered response, right? Cause then we're always telling ourselves that story. And the, one of the things that I, um, when I have the behavior, like I've done the same kind of things on the phone call and I got off, I'm like, I was such an asshole. <laughs> like I was not a good version of myself at all. And and I knew it at certain points. I'm like, I don't even care anymore because I just need to get this done or whatever it is. And right, so, you just you justify it. Right, right. And then the thing that I've learned in those situations and then also in like my relationships with people is when I have ever have a conflict or there's something that's creating a tension, the first thing we're, we always innately do, at least at least for me, is you always you look outward and, and point and blame out outward. Yes. And yes. I think one of the, the flipping points is, is when we feel a misalignment or there's a conflict or something, we need to look at, okay, what's my responsibility on this? Yeah. Because so, we, don't, we only have control how we respond. That's it. So, we are responsible for our behavior. We're not responsible for the circumstances all the time that are around us, but we are hundred percent responsible how we show up. And that is the work, right? You know what, Trina, we can say that, right? Like we need to do this and we need to do that, right? Because yeah. that is the right thing to do. But in that moment, if someone were to come up to us and go, look, we really need, we really need to do this. And yeah. usually there's nobody there to tell you this because everyone's afraid now to talk to you. <laughs> right. Maybe a version of yourself, you know, like, I don't need to hear this right now. Let me just like bathe in this anger. And, and like, let me just, you know, be yeah, let it finish. And, uh, and it doesn't subside right away, but I love what you said that that moment itself is the sign. Right. And that, you don't need to, you don't need to get to the self responsibility. I think just, just because what you're doing is if you're learning to ride a bike, you don't learn how to ride a bike right away. You know, you're going to fall off. You're going to get skin knees. You're going <laughs> to misalign, literally not be balanced. This is the same thing. You're creating a new habit. So just the action of when you feel you're dysregulated like that, just to come back to breath and take the pause, that is the first step of the other steps of this, of this growth journey. I feel like that is the first thing people need to do is that when we're hyperactivated, either anger or, or really depressive, whichever way it comes out, that we just pause and just try to be present. Yeah, but you have to have awareness of that. And most yes. people have awareness of that. Yeah, right? and so you have, yeah, it's the body connection first, right? Yeah. And That's so I can just, you were going back, about, you know, mindfulness is, mindfulness is simple, it just isn't easy, okay? Yeah. So, uh, and and they're actually, in, in mindfulness, there, there's an actual term that's called papita. 
And so what was that? I couldn't hear it. Papancha. Okay. It's it's a it's a Pali term for Sanskrit and Pali, I think. So what papancha means, um, it's like a continual motion. So what happened? To give you a, a, an easy example, this woman said to me, "All the lawyers I work with, okay, and what my what I heard. So what happened is my my senses made contact with something, okay. So my my sense of hearing made contact with." All, all the lawyers I work with wanted this way, okay? So my, my, my hearing happened, it went straight to thought, and it was, who the hell do you think you are? Then that went to emotion, which was, you've really made me angry. Then my next thought was, yeah, like, I, I need to teach you a lesson. Then that went to even more angry. So what Papancha is, is that we get into this vortex. Mm, emotion thinking, emotion thinking, emotion thinking, and you get stuck in this vortex, and you can't get out of it because you can't actually grab hold onto anything. But what mindfulness is saying that, like what Trina said, it's that awareness in the moment, taking a breath, and that breath stops the vortex just for a moment. That you now have a choice. Do I get out of the vortex mm-hmm. or do I choose to stay in the vortex? And a lot of people choose to stay. Either they just can't get out the vortex and they ruminate, they regurgitate, they go to sleep with the same thought, wake up with the same thought, or you can say, I have awareness in this moment to get out, and you might get back in again. Yeah. But but you but you making you making the trajectory of getting in and out much easier. And so that, first of all, thank you. I uh, love that explanation. That I haven't heard that before. Thank I love you for that, that word, Papancha. I actually looked it up, and it's a yeah, it's it's a really cool uh, Pali word for mental proliferation, yeah. otherwise yeah. also <laughs> as the lions roar. And it's the snowballing. You use the word um, when when we leave a state of mindfulness, and then we start on one thing, but then it then starts becoming about everything, uh, and it snowballs. So yeah. you see, that's exactly the moment that you know go from whether it's breakdown or breakthrough. And mm-hmm. the, the the part that you, you talk about so well is you know you talk about that first step, but I think the first step is knowing that you're in the state. Yeah. Oh, a bunch of right, like being, being aware. Yeah. How do you, how does someone who doesn't know what kind of tool can we give somebody who doesn't know how to tell they're in the state of a bunch of, right? And you, your, I love your explanations is that by being there, you'll feel you use the word, mis- uh, you use, um, deregulated or mis- um, those are themselves the tell. Uh, the, the the pressure is high, the rate is high. Would you say that that's consistently true about that yeah, state? Yeah, Trina, because I think Trina used those fabulous words. So I... I, 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 I all the cool words. You come yeah, up with yeah. the Holly words now. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> so, I think, so I think um, the, 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 it's um, being misaligned and all of these things, that's too far in. Like that's... Uh, a lay person wouldn't say, "Oh, I'm feeling misaligned at yeah. the moment." Oh, um, so I think all you have to all you have to recognize is, "Whoa, hang on a second, I'm in a story in my head." That's all you have to recognize. All you just have to recognize, "Whoa, my hands are shaking." Okay, it's just the awareness of your mind or body, and and, and if you can say, "Whoa, I'm in a story," just to stop and go, "It's just a story. It's just mm-hmm. a story." So, so usually, what's feeding that? So what you just said is a story. I'm just going to counter that right now, just for the devil's advocate side, because I remember having the, the same condition. Um, 
I, I did some, I tried something else, but uh, along the lines of what you're talking about. But I remember at that time, I could, you could tell me I'm in a story and I would counter and I would say, if I were to counter, I would say, this is not a story. What that person did was real. That person insulted me, you know, you see that? The the feeling? It's, real. Real. <laughs> it's real. It's real. Right? That person's not doing it anymore. That person's now gone and drinking a Timmy's coffee, uh, chatting to their friends. Right. You are in the story and you believe in uh, the story. So you it doesn't exist. Now it doesn't exist. The story doesn't exist anymore. It's when you're not in the present anymore. When you're but, in but, the story. But, what, yeah. what I'm arguing is that, that, that injustice or whatever that was served to me, right, hasn't been corrected yet. So okay. it's still the same. This is where the journey comes too, right? right. Is, yeah. is taking the self-responsibility. So usually it's like, why am I so offended that this person disrespected me? Why am I so offended that they cut me off? Or, you know, and so there's usually a reason why we're so activated. And there's, you know, deeper clinical reasons for those things. But it's the curiosity, right? And so it says more about them that they're disrespectful than it does about you. If that makes sense, yeah. Right. I just go ahead. Yeah. So, um, I, I one of the tools that I use a lot is called the AF, and right. yeah, and it was uh, it's not my colleague, um, Ajahn Brahm. He's he's like a rogue, um, and Ajahn Brahm talks about this AFL code, and it stands for acknowledge, forgive, learn. Mm-hmm. So, what happens is it de- it depends on how much inner Activism. Not the uh, Australian Football League, that's for sure, right? That's no, 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 no. Could Guys. be, no, you know. Active is last. Active last. Football is in the middle. Uh, <laughs> but this guy's from, is he from Australia? No, he's not. I googled the AFL code of conduct and it was a code of conduct for the Australian Football League so I just want to make sure we're talking about the same thing no 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 let's hear the code of conduct maybe they're talking about it so there's a difference between you know you you can say I feel really justified and you can acknowledge and go yeah I'm acknowledging that I really feel justified and they shouldn't have done that or you do it the other way. So what I did when I had this thing with this, this um, I acknowledged that I was feeling really angry, but I didn't say it because of what she said. I said it because something inside of me was triggered. Yeah. So it was, okay, something inside of me was feeling disrespected. Something inside of me was feeling very small. And she, she, she poked at my smallness. And so when I had that acknowledgement, I forgave myself for feeling that way but I forgave her as well and was like learning from this okay so what have I learned I learned that it wasn't her she had no idea maybe she was really being helpful because this she works with lots of lawyers and she thought I'm being helpful by not you know um having a telephone call that's going nowhere until I have all the information that I need so she didn't do anything. She, what she did wasn't to spite me. She didn't do it on purpose. It was my response. It was my internal reaction. So I had to acknowledge that. I had to forgive myself and I had to learn from that experience. So the next What do you have to forgive yourself for? I have to forgive myself that it's okay to feel small or it's okay to get angry with somebody. It's or it's okay to get angry with somebody. 
But what you do with that anger can be hurtful and destructive. Mm-hmm. And what I did was hurtful and destructive because I put the phone down on her when she was just trying to do her job. So I emailed her back and I said to her, I'm really sorry, we got off on the wrong foot. Can we start over? And now we're having very we having conversations. She chatted, she was chatting to me yesterday about her father, and she chatted to me yesterday about how she thinks that what I want to do with the credit card probably isn't the right thing to do. And she gave me some great tips and suggestions. But it was in that moment where I said, Why? Why was I so triggered? It wasn't her. I had to acknowledge within myself that something wasn't right. My smallness, my 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 ego was saying, look, she's, she knows you're small. She knows you're nothing, you see? And I had to see that. And then I had to forgive myself and learn from the experience and correct it. Now, do you think this ever happens? So you just gave a scenario. Um, there was another party that was making us feel small, right? Um, what I think a lot of people go through is a situation where there's no other party, but they themselves are making themselves or they, they feel themselves. Um, there's no, there's nothing else. You know, there's just them by themselves. They're just feeling down. And it's not that somebody else told them something. Uh, their perceptions and perspectives on all these things kind of going on around them. Like, look, people are making money losing. Uh, look, people have friends. I don't look or, uh, winning lotteries. I'm not look you know all these things and then it's the self-talk that that they bring themselves down like you know trina you were talking about this i think earlier people we we bring ourselves down there's nobody else it's just Mm -hmm. and i is it the same process you think you go through it at that time you bring yourself down because you believe in your stories and there are only two types of stories there's memories and then there's thoughts about the future Okay, so when you when you've got memories, that's where you feel depressed and down and lonely and horrible. When you think about the future, you've got no control over it. So that's when anxiety comes in. So we are either depressed or we're anxious. If we're living in the past, we're depressed. If we're living in the future, we're anxious. So it's only the present moment to say right now, in this moment, yes, I haven't won the lottery. Yes, I'm feeling down about myself. Yes, all of these things. But in this moment, right now, I'm breathing. And I've got a choice. Do I want to live in the past? Do I want to live in the future? Or do I, right now I've got a choice to do something that can just like start small. You know, it, it's what I'm going to do is just make myself a cup of coffee and just really be invested in making myself a cup of coffee. I, w- I want to finish off on this one. This one, if you'll indulge me on this, I know we got to get to something, but this is so, so important. Because I think we all face it. So um, I wonder if, if what your thought is on this. But you know, sometimes, for example, it has nothing to do with like circumstances other than what we even created by ourselves. Like we did some intently. Um, let's just say um, we 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 were harsh on a relationship and it broke. Right? We 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 broke the camel's back on that one. We were the last straw. Now there's no reset button that we can go to to fix it, mend it, whatever. There's no um, alternative. Um, it's done, right? And we now have to forgive ourselves. That that um, you know, or, or we've done something that we know was. Um, it could be something small, like we invested in the wrong thing with a life savings, and our our life partner said, "Don't do it," and then we did it, and then now we're like nowhere. 
these ex, um, examples we can give where we were the culprits, right? It wasn't circumstance. We were culprits or we have been culprits. And now we got to forgive ourselves. And maybe even others haven't yet forgiven us. Do you know what I mean? What do you, what do you, what do you do then? <laughs> how do you, how do you forgive that person? Sometimes you need help. You know, if it's so big, sometimes you need help and you need, you need to reach out and you have to get somebody to help you learn how to forgive yourself. Mm -hmm. You learn to forgive yourself, huh? You have to learn to forgive yourself. Yeah, it's not, it, it's not, none of us are ever taught that. I feel like we're taught the opposite of it yeah. through, doesn't matter where um, the person is from in the world. I feel like we all have um, kind of like operating systems in our heads sometimes. And um, I just wanted to circle back to the beginning of what your statement was there. Um, like the comparison, like they're doing this, they have this, I don't have this. And this and I really seen this come out in practice and I've, um, I was reading like research recently, like as of yesterday and there was, you know, research about, and I've seen this in stories of people who I've talked to that have lived on the streets as well and then have, have come off the streets. And so what the research and experiential knowledge concur that is that when you reach a certain level of basic needs, the, the your happiness doesn't increase so if you have shelter you have you know a, a stable income to be able to provide yourself you have food you know go to medical that kind of stuff once those things have a baseline of stability for a person you know the difference between a person making 40 or fifty thousand dollars a year to a person making a substantial more the the jump in happiness isn't really that much better of course there's like a caveat of people the um who who get a great happiness from extraordinary wealth. There, there's research around those people, but for the average people, money doesn't make that much of a difference. It's because the acquisition of things, the, the, the material things doesn't bring happiness. And so that's what the research is saying. And that's what I've also learned from talking to like a, a man who was homeless for several years in Toronto and in Edmonton. And we had this beautiful conversation and he just talks about how he still sleep outside because that's what his body is acclimated to, even in the winter. And he has a home and he's like, I don't need what I thought I needed before. And he went from, you know, having a lot of opportunity and wealth and then being home. Like he's, he's gone the spectrum. And, and so the research really qualifies for that. So I think it's really important for people to, to separate happiness and self-worth from material possessions and things and looking at other people because, you know, social media is a beautiful tool, but it's also created this falsehood that everyone is putting out these perceptions of whatever the most beautiful things are in their life. And they do, we all have these beautiful things in our lives, but the reality is the life is not all of these perfect pictures. It's messy and chaotic and everyone has horrible things and heartbreaking things happening to them simultaneous to these beautiful things sometimes and we don't always post that side of life right so i think it's really important for people to to look at how they're feeling and why they're feeling that way and what they're comparing themselves to and why because stuff and acquisition isn't going to necessarily bring happiness or invite more happiness for people if they if they already have like a stable platform and if I can extend on that, I know we've got other stuff to talk about. But I heard something last night that said, basically, the premise was comparison is the enemy of happiness. 
yeah, there you go. That's it. And and another thing about happiness is I, I think we've got it all wrong. You know, happiness isn't an extended state of being. You know, I'll be happy when and then I'll be forever. <laughs> happiness is just a feeling and it's momentary because you're happy when you get your car or you buy your house. Um, so we have to, happiness is like trying to chase, catch up to the horizon. You're never going to catch the horizon. You're never going to catch happiness. It's just oh. a momentary state of being. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. You know how when, you know, people have this, it's very common in our culture, this TGI call. Um, and somebody says, oh, the weekend's coming. And on Monday, it's like, how was your weekend? And they're always either looking forward to the weekend or talking about the weekend they just went by. And five out of seven days are lost. And uh, if somebody asks me, how was your weekend? Uh, why why would you only have two good days out of seven? So so you see, it's it's like, even Trina, you're talking about it's sometimes it's cultural, sometimes it's what's going on out there, what we what we learn to be <laughs> the norm. And maybe it is the norm. Sometimes people feel like they learn to just beat themselves up and the norm is not. Um, the norm is to, and actually speaking of forgiveness and the justice and the legal system now, <laughs> you know, Nicole, it's isn't that the irony, right? Like you're, you go from, you know, these experiences that you have as a person, as a child, you, you get your qualification now and you, you enter into them, uh, this area of law. And it's, I think it's no coincidence, right? That you find yourself there, but not only do you find yourself as a, uh, a person aspiring to be a professional lawyer, you come into law and, um, you, you, you talk about how, you know, through your, your articling experiences and your earlier years in, in, in working a, as a lawyer, that the element of compassion, it's interesting, right? Like inside the legislative side of, 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 of our gov of our governance, of our society, you have this legal system. And inside of that legal system, there's this pursuit for, for justice. But you, you would say that while there is this need for justice, there's also a need or maybe a greater need for compassion. 100%. There is no compassion in the law. And, you know, it's very, stick to the facts. And, you know, I'm going to counsel. Um, compassion is understanding. Compassion is perspective. Compassion. Um, and that's what we need in a law, in, in, in law. And that's the one thing that is lacking from the law. And it's the one thing that emotional intelligence and compassion has to come into the law. Fundamental. Now, now, before we get to doing, um, really there must have been, uh, I never went to law school, but there must have been discussion already plenty of times about, hey, justice or compassion. You know, they are two different things and you got to have justice because if we just sit there and are just compassionate, you know, look at all the things people are going to get. Th there's not going to be enough deterrent to the people who are tempted to do things that are safe. Um, there must have been discussion, the philosophical conversation around that uh, I mean, there has to be a reason why compassion is, according to you, like absent or, you know, that there's that, that it's too diluted in, in, in the legal system that we have today. There must be a reason for that. I think that we, uh, you know, I read something and I wish I could remember it 100 percent correctly. But the one thing that I would compassion is seen as a weakness in the law. If you're compassionate, it means you're weak. Uh, we don't have time. Being in the laws about and um, you know, thing, um, and thing, 
you, there's no compassion in fighting, you know. So uh, for me, compassion, but, uh, you know, and, and I think it's because I wish I could remember this article, but, you know, they were saying if there are three, there are three cornerstones of, 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 of the state, right? There's the, there's, um, the law and what's the other one? Church, state, and I don't know what the other one is. I can't think. Is it health, medical? I don't, I don't know. What <laughs> I'm drawing a lot. Okay, but anyway, anyway, whatever, whatever the third one is, it's very important. Yeah. So, um, maybe, maybe it's church, government, law. I don't know what. what you, can, you, can just, you can forgive yourself for not knowing. This. <laughs> I'm going to forgive myself because I'm still going to make a great point. So, um, but basically, it's very, very structured. So, the church is there for spirituality. That's where you get your your compassion, your kindness, your spiritual met. Um, the the government um, order or you know create your environments and your homes or whatever it is, and the law is there to ensure that rules are made and kept, and it has to be very. Um, everything else looks after the other needs. The church will look after state, you know, will look after that your 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 mental and 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 what other well being. And so the law was in order for us to be legitimate and scientific. We only deal with the law. We only deal with the rules. We don't deal with anything else because you've got other things to deal with it, and it will infiltrate our systems. And we we have silo. We have to silo everything. And I think that's what happened is that all these silos, and people are going, "Well, hang on a second. I'm a human being, fighting with somebody, and you telling me that I can only think about the law? It, it, we we have to we have to break down the systems." that are silos, break them down, mingle them, and then see, and then build them up again. So if you'll indulge me, I want to, I'm going to get to that, but I think there's, there's two steps to get there. The first one is, is where we are now, which is surely it was a human being. There were human, you know, human beings that sat there and wrote the law, right? And surely as human beings, they have compassion. But what you're saying to me is that when, when the laws were being constructed by human beings who are compassionate beings, right, who know about compassion, who know about love and that sort of thing, and have feelings and understand, you're saying, about, again, explaining it to me as a layman, right, the, the reason this was done was to, there had to be an objective side to everything. And, and the purpose and the goal, let's just say the intent of the law, was to be completely objective. And that's the silo. No compassion in this. And they say they say it's not that it's lacking compassion; it's that there's a there's an importance to being objective. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that is that would you say with the beginnings or the intent? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's um, a good intention, no? Yeah, it's great. And yeah, sorry, I mean to interrupt you. I'm just oh, so no, no. Like I, I just <laughs> try to understand the beginnings of it because what you're doing. If we get to what you're doing, just to talk about yeah. that. You got to cover these other pieces. and we see them the same in the co profession that um, intersects with law. So I like putting on a child. Um, you know, we're trained in forensic interviewing and how gather um, disclosures and evidence in a way that is going to be presentable to the court because you don't want to you know botch a case because you contaminated the evidence and and that leaves this you know vulnerable child in a predicament you haven't. Um, operated in a way that is in the direct application of the law. So the, the, the thing of it is, is like, <clears throat> I've been reading a lot about therapeutic jurisprudence. And I just want to share a quote. I just pulled it up. And I think this really kind of pulls together what therapeutic jurisprudence is, which is 
is because there's a lot of unintended consequences sometimes when we don't bring our humanity to the table. Sure. So when you're looking at bringing in a compassionate process into law, this is not something that is new. It's not happening in North America necessarily, but it is happening in other places in the world. Um, uh, an article from 2019, and it's titled, <clears throat> um, and just applications for international law and psychiatry. So this is a statement about it. It says the perception that the task of the court is not only to decide the specific legal issues before it, but also solve the underlying problem that gives rise to the dispute requires a holistic view of the parties and the relationships and situations. A judgment of the court, which takes into account the environment in which an issue arose, will have much greater chance of preventing further, further litigation. And so what that means is if we bring our humanity to the table with the application of the law, we're inviting different opportunities and different conversations that don't that stop that wheel of people circling through the legal system and and looking at and it's differentiation of the application. And so what works for one family in alignment with the law may not have um, may have unintended consequences for another family that the judiciary may not necessarily have been privy to in those um, it's bringing in those life experiences and the idiosyncrasies of a person's life. So when the application is, is um, unfolding, then it takes into account how to invite optimal outcomes for people rather than rather than reinforcing the same issue of, that, that has brought them forward to you in the first place. So it's super exciting that this is happening. And I'm finding there's a lot of conversations happening um, at least within Canada, with within the communities Nicole and I are circling right now, which is so, it's so emancipating. It's so wonderful. And it's happening, these communities are happening because we realize that the systems are broken and not working. Okay. Um, you know, and there. yeah, there's, there's this brilliant article that, that I refer to a lot, uh, just comment about um, why don't we have compassion? Why don't we have any of these things in the legal system? This study, um, and it's called Killing Them Softly. Neuroscience yeah. reveals how brain cells die from law school stress and how neural self-hacking can optimize cognitive performance. And basically what this article says is the second you enter law school, well, your, your intelligence might be raised, but your emotional intelligence has been decreased to almost non-existent. And that's why law students and lawyers come out already feeling deplete, uh, not happy human beings because they've just been trained for the last five years. Mm -hmm. so, so that's exactly what I, that was the second step, right? Which was, you know, for, for, for people to understand really what you're doing, it, I really want them to understand kind of like how you got there. And the beginning is always, there's good intent in being objective. No one would say there's something wrong in being objective. That's the common ground, right? The intentions are good. It's to be able to govern. It's to be able to keep order. It's to be able to keep a sense um you know and consistency for for people to be able to live right and grow and thrive and then comes the consequences uh, and i've heard the word being used unintended consequences yeah right so what are some of those un you talk about it being you know broken and not working what's the evidence that it's broken and not working what are these unintended consequences can you touch on them a little bit quickly before we get to then like these are your whys, right? This is why you're doing what you're doing. And I think we really should talk about that and, and, and you know, get into that a little bit 
then you can really set up for really what you're doing because you've got to know why. Why, <laughs> why would you call it? Why would you call it broken? What are these unintended concepts talking about? Uh, you just talked on one where when people kids come out of law school, kids, you know, when graduates come out of law school, my son just graduated this week. Still a kid to me, right? But you know, graduate, they're they're, they're now lawyers. They're now like these meaningful members of society. They're noble. They wear these cool and, um, you know, they've got certifications. They can, they can solve problems out there. They can bring peace. But you're saying that they're depleted. What do you mean? Um, first of all, the one thing that, that, I, that I want to say about the law is that if, if you take any country's, um, it all talks about compassion, being knowing, you know, that community, um, all, all these things are are beautiful, and then and then you have the law, you know. And, and I think uh, one of the reasons that I want to do law is I thought um, because if we all live really well together and we understand our rules without having them written down, we don't need a manifesto telling us how to do things. But it's when when people can't live with the rules and regulations or, or need guidance, then you have rules. Um, and rules cannot take into effect every um, background, every single person's identity, every single person's, it, it just can't. So it kind of sort of has a global, well, people should be like this, so we'll have these rules. And then if you don't conform to those rules, then you're going to get into trouble and we're going to punish you and we're going to punish you with the varying ranges of, of penalties that, that we've established. But again, there, we haven't taken into the extreme, you know, uh, uh, you, you can't say to a drug addict, if you get, if you, if you get high again and treat, um, well, then we're going to throw you in jail because you know, they're going to do it. Because those rules, there's nothing to help them not break those rules. The system is not helping them not break those rules. So um, I feel, you know, law is law is fantastic because if we all good law-abiding people, we don't really need the law because we're just going to do what we have to do. We don't. I don't worry about the law. Law-abiding that implies that there is a law. There is a law. But, but that's sort of common sense, right? Let's call universal values. I like using universal, yeah, yeah, universal values, I think. Yeah. So I think, you know, the law comes in to punish people if you're not going to behave in a certain way. Yeah. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't deal with the fact that this person's homeless and has an addiction that they can't access proper support to withdraw from. So that's what therapeutic jurisprudence is, is looking at, okay, he ha has this issue you know, often we see this in family law cases that they're not necessarily a homelessness component attached to it, but definitely the addiction issues come up. And one of the things I've seen come out in, in certain orders is, you know, and this is an, this is a this is a speaking to what you're looking to for that unintended consequence, Mohammed. So the person has demonstrated a readiness to um, come off of a, a heroin uh, that that there was their addiction. There's an order made for them to you know engage and um, and then there's also consequences if there's a child because I'm I'm usually involved when there's a child. There's a consequence is. Um, suspended if a drug screen, or sorry, if a, a drug screen is negative. So if they, or positive, sorry, if a drug screen comes back positive, all access stops. And so all of that makes total sense, total sense. 
Then you go to level deeper. The unintended consequence could be that this person, you know, works um, in Scarborough. They live downtown and the methadone clinic that they have access to that's really available is in a different part. And for them to commute there and, and participate in the level of treatment they need, they are not going to be able to stay at their job or they may want to have an addiction counselor, but there is a six month wait list. Or there's, and then the, also there's a lack of awareness that relapse is a natural part of recovery as because the brain is hijacked by these drugs. It takes at least a month to be able to come to a baseline, to be able to even start to reframe the neural network that's been hijacked by addiction. So just coming at it with an awareness that kind of um, those pieces involved with addiction, then we can build around them and say, okay, well, what happens when relapse? How can we have contact um, that is meaningful for the child and then also safe for the child, this parent's um, journey with addiction. And so that's what unintended consequences are because we can be putting orders in place or putting, or the, sorry, the courts can be putting orders in place that are truly meaningful for the, the safety of the child and the betterment of the individual. But the the system, like rule, the real life play of that um, happening sometimes impedes people's progress. So. So that's what we're looking at is just really like using the application of the law, but do it in a way that we're, for lack of a better word, not setting people up for failure. And we really want them to move through this in a meaningful way and and heal and get better because the, the less recidivism, <laughs> the better it is for everyone, right? So. Would you also say things like, for example, to earlier, um, even Nicole, you were talking, I think about this, where you know, just the very way in which we are taught the, the law uh, as, say, lawyers, if, if they were to go into being lawyers, the way they're taught the law it, itself, you know, has an unintended consequence. Like you talked about feeling depleted. What do you mean by feeling depleted when they come out of law school? And I don't just mean from the bank account feeling depleted, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, the that's another story. <laughs> but, um, you know, feeling depleted emotionally and and, and perhaps consequences of feeling. Um, and they're, they're, are they taught this? What do you mean? How, how are they taught this? Or is it they're just not, in the pursuit of being perfectly objective? They're, they're not taught any of these things. They're taught to be uh, lawful soldiers and to advocate vehemently for, for, you know, for whatever you have to do, win or lose. That's really how we're taught. We try to get more integrated practices. There's a whole movement called um, integrative law where we say in order for a system to work, we have to integrate and we have to integrate uh, therapeutic jurisprudence. We have to integrate mindfulness. We have to integrate categories, um, environmental, like all these things. We have to integrate them. So, uh, and and they, this is the community that I'm very big in and a huge, a huge part of my life is bringing integrative law into law schools. But I want to go back to why does a why does a, a lawyer recently, uh, you know, graduate feel depleted, and and there there are, I'm not going to go through all of them, but basically there's almost seven separations going through um, law school, and once they come out, even just as a graduate and as a new lawyer, where now this is where their foundation, um, they 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 have these seven separations of self, and the question is, um, they 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 come out of law school and maybe. They went into law school feeling, I know I felt this way, but I went into law school completely um, 
I was going to, I was going to be there people and um, I was going to advocate and I was going to do all this good work and I was going to do all of this stuff. And, and then through law school, none of that stuff, the values and the reason I went into law school was said, you have to put that aside. So now there's me as a person that this is why I went into law school and law school's telling me, but you can't really be that person. So there's a separation of myself and I have to go, wow, okay, so when I become a good lawyer, then I can bring my values back in for what for for why I did this in the first place. But I first have to I first have to pay my dues. So you start separating more and more and more from the reason that you went into law school in the first place. So you have that one separation. Another separate is that um, you feel that people don't understand you. So you can't say to somebody, it's really stressful being a law student or it's really stressful being a lawyer. They go, what do you mean? It's the best, one of the best professions in the world to have. You dress well and you're going to earn well and you're going to do all of these things. And it's like, I can't complain to somebody about my stress because it feels like I'm being ungrateful and people don't understand me. So now you're very isolated. So there's another separation that you feel. Then there's a separation. You go into um, a law firm and you don't, like I did, you don't feel, you feel like a, a triangle and a round pigeonhole because you know this isn't an environment that makes you feel good and yet it's an environment that you have to be in. So now there's a Wait, third separation. Why, you, why wouldn't you feel good in a law firm when this is what you worked to get into? Because you don't know what a law firm is when you're a law student. What is and a law firm? What do you mean? What, well, what is it? It's a mystery now. Yeah, like, so... So I think people think that they want to be in, you know, these these fantastic downtown law firms and you're going to wear the cool clothes and you're going to have prestige and everyone's going to make you feel fantastic. And you go there and for the most part, they make you feel terrible. They they make you feel small. They You're working these long hours. You've got no support. You're looking at around with everybody flourishing and you think I'm the only, I'm the only idiot but, here who doesn't understand but, anything. Isn't that part of the navy training seal training navy seal training that you get is that isn't that why they do that but why should it be why can't you mentor why can't you why can't you open up for like you know the challenges that lie ahead do you think it makes you a better person when somebody treats you badly well you know you grow thick skin no you know there was this yes you, you grow you, you go i don't want a thick skin i want a supple skin so, I'm just talking about the intentions as to why they are the way they are. I mean, this is what I. A hundred, you know. So I, there was this. There's this Facebook group that I'm part of, and this one person wrote how um, they they received a really really nasty um, email from a very senior lawyer, their junior, from a very very senior lawyer that kind of was a. You, you you should you should be going back to law school like you know how could you even written how could you've written this correspondence to me but not only did this person write it to them cc'd 25 other people right. on this on this on this email and so she wrote and she said what do i do i feel i have to protect my boundaries you know if he wants to guide me guide me maybe i didn't know what i did was wrong but don't tell really? other people, you know. And so we, we started this whole conversation. Of, and, and so it was, um, you know, you, you, I think we've spoken about this before. You've got your role models and your anti-role anti models. 
So use this person as your anti-role model so that when the same thing happens in 20 years time and you face with the situation that you now this person, you can do something with compassion, kindness, integrity, and you're going to be a much better mentor and role model than this person who just made you feel small. Let me ask you a question. Um, because there is the law that we were talking about, then there are just the culture of law firms and the whole legal industry. And that's a that has a whole commercial side to it, right? That's a business. And and there are two different things in, in, in my view. There is like what the law is intended to be like and, and to the, the intended consequences and then the unintended consequences of just an objective law. And and then there is, you know, how law firms operate and cultures of, you know, how they're going to grow their business. And, and, you know, when you talked about these levels of separations, I think that there's also this this thought that the the better you can do this, the stronger you've become. And then there's this, you know, there's this feeling of actually achievement when you tear yourself down your humanity. Um, not that kindness is weakness, but that, look, you got to be able to put on this armor and not be yourself because it's a jungle out there and that's what you're up against. You know, so that it's like this feeling that, look, we're doing this to prepare you. And it's like hard love, if you will, you know, to try and get us there. But then it has unintended consequences. It's always, it always comes back to that. Mm -hmm. So carry on because you, you did get yourself into it. I don't want to say trouble, but like you felt yourself out of place, right? While you were articling. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then, cause these are all thoughts and experiences that lead up to like what you today. And, um, and now we're approaching kind of like the, the, the things that sort of motivated you now. Because now you're seeing what's happening in law school, you're seeing what's happening in, in, in law firms, and you feel that there needs to be a change because you're seeing lawyers being down. You know, uh, Trina, you talk about lawyers requiring all kinds of coping mechanisms, anything from, you know, drugs to therapy to whatever. And it's no secret. It's happening like mm -hmm. rapid, um, to depression. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of um, heart issues. Yeah. I'm seeing like uh, blood pressure medic, like blood pressure issues. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure someone were to go look this up. Like the stats are yeah. pretty obvious, right? On I think stuff. suicidal ideation is higher. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it. I think lawyers have passed um, dentists now. For it used to be <laughs> dentists. Yeah, dentists usually with um, uh, of persons who die by suicide, and I think lawyers are now the first. Well, so, so, everything yeah so like now it, it's it's just about the system you know we can do better for the the persons we're in service to that are navigating the system but also better for the persons who are advocates and working within the systems because impact um a vicarious trauma burnout or compassion amongst uh, amongst people in this discipline so you yeah. I, I love how you use these like these terminologies and they're so meaningful like well, um, like, you know, I bet you when you say compassion fatigue, a bunch of people can nod their heads and say, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm feeling right now. I'm feeling compassion fatigue. Yeah, it's a real thing. Water to to have no compassion. And yeah. I want to, I want to have compassion. So I, I don't like, I personally, I, I, I don't like the word compassion fatigue because huh. passion yeah. is the most positive emotion you can ever have. You can never get burnt out. From compassion. Oh, I think what she meant was like yeah. lacking, so, lacking compassion. Yeah, but it's, it's, yeah, but it's, yeah. There's a misconception about the meaning of it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, 
you feel so much compassion you feel burnt out but it's really it's, it's emotional the opposite. yeah it, you're burnt out but yeah but it's okay, that's it's, how i read it yeah, yeah. it's it, so it presents itself as almost like an indifference like what's the point nothing's gonna work anyway it always goes like that absolute thinking always never this never happens and and you just kind of like just kind of have a hostility almost <laughs> to learn your occupation. Someone once explained it to you me. Feel also. that, Nicole? <laughs> yeah. but with emotional burnout, I, I, someone, I, I, you know, I, I really need to start writing things down. But they said emotional burnout is when your emotional output is not being met, being met by your emotional input. Input, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've been there. You, you, you had all these experiences. And you did the, you talk about the triangle and the square, you know, pipe. Now you, you get to a point, what made you feel like, because a lot of, a lot of lawyers go through this and then they just go, either they go, ah, this is just how it is and assimilate because they're now, well, what they say in poker, they're pot committed. They've put so much in to being a lawyer this is what it means this is what i signed i signed up for this so let's just go with the flow or the exit and you you didn't go with the flow and you don't want to exit yeah but what makes you think that you're gonna you're gonna be able to buy it and so um you, you decided to to start practicing a certain way first mm -hmm. tell us about that well um you know, I when I was in South Africa and I, I was coached out of law school and I started my own practice and it wasn't how I wanted to practice and it wasn't what, what I wanted to be. Uh, but yeah, I I had to do it and, and you know, this, this is what it was. And so when we emigrated, it was like, I'm done. I don't want to be a lawyer ever again. Like, this is not for me. It's not what I signed up for. I sold my soul to the devil and I, I, I don't like it. And so when we emigrated, it was like, oh, this is such a great opportunity for me to start a whole new career, brand new, be, be what I want to be. You know, I want to be an interior decorator or I'll do something which I couldn't be because I suck at math and apparently you really need math to be in the perception or something like that. I don't know. So <laughs> you need to know how big the couch is before you put it in yeah. there. Get it in the door. <laughs> so, um, but I realized, you know, in being in Canada for all, was just coming on two years that I loved the law, that I loved, I loved being a lawyer in my blood and, um, I really wanted to be a lawyer. And so that's when I decided to become a lawyer in Canada. The difference was I was older and I had, um, I knew that, that the way I had practiced was not the way that I was going to practice this time. So I had been given an opportunity and the biggest gift by, by Canada saying, we don't accept you the way you are. You have to reconvert and redo you. Um, I knew the type of lawyer that I wanted to be. Most people don't know the type of lawyer they want to be. They might know what type of law they want to practice, but they don't know the type of lawyer they want to be. I knew what type of lawyer I wanted to be, and I... Um, I, I, I say it that way. It's not just the kind of law you want to practice, but the kind of lawyer you want to be. Yeah. That's Very that that's, Because that's how you can decide whether you're going to strike... Um, so, I, you know, that's when I just, when I did become a lawyer, it was, I'm not going to litigate. 
I'm going to do mediation, I'm going to do collaborative law, I'm going to do holistic law, not, not H-O, holistic, holistic, W-H-O, holistic, so that I can try and take the whole person who comes uh, to me and see their whole situation and work differently. Um, and I didn't be, um, and I sometimes I felt like I was swimming, you know, against, against, you know, I was going upstream and everyone's going downstream, but I was, I knew that's how I wanted to be. And I had, that's how I did it. I created a successful practice. And when I say successful practice, I want, I want everyone to understand that everyone has got a very different version and definition of what success is. Mm -hmm. Success for me was never being a millionaire. I got there, that was fantastic, but that wasn't what I strove for. Yeah, your your idea of, of success was being able to be the lawyer you wanted to be. Yeah. And, and yeah. You, you, you stayed, your definition of success is that you stayed true to that and you managed to, and so the law does allow as it's as it's constructed right now allows you to do that allows you to be that it allows you to be that but you're not going to make as much money later um pouring fuels to the flames and making conflict bigger well you know mechanics have been accused of doing that and that's it's more of a you know it, it's like uh you know there's no problem there and now there's a problem because you know they created mm -hmm. the problem and we all we all know about that sort of way of being able to increase your business and that's what i mean by the the commercial side of the law, right? That they are businesses. And when the business mind takes over and that is the mind that is entrusted with also carrying out, you know, the law, well, something's gonna give. And it's, it's, it's pretty obvious that that's more commercial interest being met versus you, which is more like, no, I, I wanna make sure that I'm, I'm, like you said, I'm dealing with the law holistically. So you're successful sense, and you found that, um, that that you were you were able to establish your practice doing that. But you have to give up the idea of being the millionaire that that's gonna then the brain. And um, and so then you started something called was it is it Lotus Law? Is that what you or yes. is it Earth, what was it Earth New Lawyer? Like, is that like, uh, is that now, now, like when you're getting into now working with lawyers specifically, because you found that you could impact a few people this way, but you could impact a whole lot of more people if you worked with lawyers instead of, instead of clients. Is that, is that kind of like how you thought about it? Yeah. So I created Lotus Law uh, in 2018, between um, a, a slump um, and, you know, I, I, I say I don't know what time management is. I don't think anybody knows what time management is because we can't manage time, but we can without time. Uh, time that is. Um, I was um, feeling guilty when I was at work that I wasn't at home with my kids. Then when I was at home with my kids, all I was thinking about was what I had to do at the office and then kind of wanted to shove the kids away so I could just quickly get to the office and, and, and know there was no balance. Um, and there, there were certain things happening in my life. Um, and I didn't like the way that I felt. And then I went to check with the Law Society to see as a lawyer, do you help or do anything? Um, and I found a few articles, but it was like, literally took like hours of getting into the belly of, of, the, of, of the Law Society's website, looking for mental lawyers, wellness articles. And they were just articles. It was like, oh, to me. Um, and so- Unintended consequences. Yeah, the, the, the well, the consequence is what, what I decided to do about that, you know, yeah, because 
I started, I was vulnerable enough to say to fellow colleagues, wow, I'm feeling really stressed. And how are you feeling? And they all said, oh, we feel these sole practitioners. And, uh, you know, we all feel the same way. We can never go on vacation because we are our practice. So the second we go on vacation, we have to bring our work with us. Or we have to know that nothing gets done for two weeks and we're going to have angry clients. And so we can't ever go away. We can't do. And so there was so much stress. And I said, what if I could find a solution? And they said, if you find a solution, we'll be on board with this. Started looking to, um, you know, who said, we'll be, who said we'll be on board? Every lawyer that I was talking to said, if you can find, you know, and it's funny because they all say, yeah, if you can find a solution, like we'll be there. Like we need this help. We want all of that help. So I went out, I found a solution. I spent two years studying and, um, and doing courses and getting certified. And then I came back and I said, I've got a solution. They said, no, we're too busy. Yeah. You can, yeah, that's it. You can take the horse to the water, right? Or you can't sometimes. <laughs> yeah, can't make sometimes. Um, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's just, a, that's exactly what I found. And and I agree with you wholly that, you know, people um, talk and lawyers included about wanting a better outcome and so on and so forth. And when you finally went and you finally don't take, um, anyway, we can talk about why that is, but I'm more interested in what you're doing. And so, you know, I love that you're doing it. You went, you figured it out. And what did you, what did you figure out? What is it that you, that you, so, um, I, I started reading involved in mindfulness and the stand. So I first did a, uh, the first thing I did is I thought, okay, I'm going to do a six week mindfulness course and then I'm going to know mindfulness and then that's going to be fantastic. And I did the six week mindfulness course and I was still more confused about what mindfulness was. I, like, I, I wasn't enlightened at all. I was just completely confused because they kept telling me it's about suffering. I was like, no, I, I didn't, I, you know, and because I'm a lawyer, I think I'm better, like, even though I'm maybe a more humble or I thought I, 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 I like the idea of me being more of a humble person. I still have been going, I'm a lawyer. I'm smarter than most of you. This stuff is just like for people with real problems. You don't understand my problems. And that's why mindfulness didn't work for me in that six week course, because I was closed minded to it. It was like, I just want to get enough tools so that I can go and teach people what the tools they've given me. This is, is, um, is so personal and experiential and it's a practice. And so a lot of the times I'll speak to lawyers, they go, oh yeah, we've read, we've read like 30 books and we've read all everything written by the Dalai Lama. And, you know, we know Pima children is like, we, we on her Facebook page and, you know, and, you know, um, I consider myself a great cook because I've read 30 cookbooks. Oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, and they go, and I said, do you think I'm a great cook? And it's like, well, no, you have to learn how to cook. I'm all, exactly. I can have read 40,000 books on, on cooking, but that doesn't make me a great cook. And, and that's so exactly it's possible to be a lawyer and, and not be mindful? Say that again? You think it's possible to be a lawyer and not be mindful? Well, I don't know what you mean by mindful, because it's mindful of sort of saying, I'm mindful of the fact that you're a busy person. Or I'm mindful of the fact that you've got other clients. Um, so, you know, mindfulness, it, it's a very simple definition. There are lots of long definitions, but mindfulness is knowing what's going on in your body and mind at any given moment. So what I teach, what I teach lawyers in mindfulness is when you get that email and you suddenly realize that you're so angry, just notice the anger. Because it's a simple truth. 
The email hasn't made you angry. Anger has just arisen within you as a result of what your eyes made contact with. That's all that happened. Your eye made contact with an email. That's the truth. Then you proliferated your stories. Mm -hmm. Just understand that. Um, and so, and so what I teach is mindfulness in everyday life, just having awareness, not being mindful of having awareness of what's just happened inside of me right now. <clears throat> what, what, what sense just, what sense made contact of my five senses, which one made contact with something that caused a reaction inside. And, and so, um, how do you think that that will translate for lawyers? Um, because they start just having an awareness of themselves. And then they, a lot of my law students have come back and they, and they, their greatest success story was, I was, I was on the telephone with, with, with counsel and they're looking at me and they started, um, you know, personal with things. And they said, Nicole, I realized there was so much anger in, inside of me. And they said, in the past, I would have either just put the phone down on them or I would have just started screaming back. And they said, but I, I realized I felt this anger inside of me. And just in that of them, you know what, I think um, our conversation is not being, you know, not sort of, is not helpful to any of us, of any of us right now. Maybe we should just cool down and we can continue this conversation tomorrow or we can do something else. And they said, I would never have done that before. Mm -hmm. And you only need one person in the room to be mindful to change the entire energy in a room. And so this is what I'm teaching. I'm teaching lawyers is to have that, that awareness in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, so those and are the you, stories. And, and the other, want? I just want to interject too, too, because she, she's left out a huge project that she's too, she's um, she's with her, her partner um, in this venture of compassionate integration, integrative process into law. So that's something that she's looking at that's going to bridge. It'll be trauma-informed. It'll be a trauma-informed piece of it. But then when it's it's really an immersive experience is what she's presenting because you're going to get the trauma-informed knowledge and the applicational awareness of what that looks like for the people we're in service to and also for ourselves. But then she'll be unpacking some of these things. Like what does self-care and self-responsibility, self-accountability look like? And so that's some of the knowledge that she's going to be bringing into that training as she initiates this alternative resolution process for um, within family law. It's just starting within family law. So it's a really nice gateway, I feel, the project she's bringing forward because it is speaking to all the concepts that we've we've gone through of this discussion with therapeutic um, jurisprudence and, and looking at differentiation, not not necessarily carry picking a law. The law is still going to be the law, but the application of it, of how it rolls out will be a little bit different. And I feel, you know, what she and her partner are doing is really quite groundbreaking in the sense that it has beautiful applications for criminal law, lessons for um, other courts, because the only diversity we see within the court system at this point is differentiation for children and differentiation for persons with disabilities or severe mental health issues. So this is a differentiation for all and rectal have. So, um, that's my sense of your project. I think it's a huge thing. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it, it, it's great to kind of see like how you got here, you know, why you got here and what's going to fuel it. This is not just something you woke up and said, oh, this would be cool to try. You're, you like, you have a lot of reason now to be so committed to this. 
and there's such such a need. So when there's such a need, such a gap, level of motivation, uh, and and you're so invested, it's bound, like you know, it's bound to succeed. It's not a question of if it will succeed. It's successful now because of all of these reasons. Um, and it's exciting to see this kind of coming around because in in the area of law and even in in you know in the business of lawyering, right? There's also that aspect that has to be you know considered. And, and, and it's a, it has to be satisfied. Otherwise it won't take, you know, it's a market question. It's a market question, right? And from a marketing point of view, and, and this is kind of like my angle on things, right? It's like the business angle, you know, will, will lawyers and, you know, law firms that are in the business of lawyering, will they see this as valuable as a way to be able to you know, through compassion, through therapeutic jurisprudence, do they see this as a greater level of quality to their client? And if they can see that as a greater level of quality to their client, there'll, there'll be traction. And I think that they would. I think it's outstanding. Um, just from a business point of view, a great differentiator nowadays um, wants to come across as more you know, compassionate. They want to come across. They, they're they doing things like call it the four-day work week, all these things. And they're saying that we want culture to be uh, proliferated in every aspect of what we do, including, you know, our legal department. So the drive is not just coming from inside the legal industry. It's coming from outside the legal industry as well, that there needs to be more compassion, that there needs to be more that needs to be a more sustainable way of doing things. And if we don't do it this way, well, you know, There's look at what's happening with global warming. Look at what's happening with blah, 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 all this stuff. What It, it all relates. And it's a philosophy. It's a way of approaching it. And I think the way you're going about it is not just because it's going to feel good. It's actually sustainable. It's actually the only way to be sustainable. Otherwise, more in unintended consequences, yeah. right? So at what point in time are we going to say enough is enough? And there are leaders like you out there, and I'm so excited to see that you're on this venture. And um, I believe you got it. You must, you're like the perfect to do this. You've got the, uh, you've got your grandmothers, <laughs> right? Uh, but aside from your grandmother, you yourself, like, you know, you faced gunpoint. And even at that moment, you didn't lose yourself. And yeah, you're also human enough that you can say, look, I have fall down moments all the time. So you can relate to every side of, of this, this table. And, and then you've also got the, uh, you know, the professional acumen. You've gone through the, you know, you've gone through the training. You've gone into the law firm. You've been on all Twice. sides. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> and, and, yeah, right. In different and, countries. <laughs> and so you're ambassador for this. And uh and I love what you're doing. And I'd love in, in a short while, maybe for you to come back and talk again about like what your experiences have been like and the kind of changes that you've been able to see, maybe even, you know, bring some lawyers with you who have started to, you know, uh, or your students who have started to use this method, right? Yeah. Or this mode of being able to apply. So you're not really changing the law. You're not no, really trying to ask for change. I'm changing mindsets. Yeah. Like, Mohammed, like one of the things, like, I, 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 I tell 
when I mean mindfulness actually adds hours to your day and people say because if you um are pissed off your stories um and you're not now spending hours and hours not really investing what you're doing because you're still in the story if you can stop the story and then just deal with what you have to deal with you can get it done and then it's off your plate and then you can do the next thing and lawyers don't realize that they're spending so much time not being present they're productive um, and so mindfulness creates productivity. Mindful, like I've sometimes, I will, I, I, like I've got nothing to do because I've done everything so efficiently and quickly. And it's like, okay, well, I'll just go sit outside for a while and do something. So um, I, I think, um, you know, obviously it's times that there's going to be um, the other side. And I think that the other side might say things like, ah, that's a bunch of, you know, it's a bunch of fluff, like you know, mm -hmm. it's all feely, 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 and we yeah. need to. Yeah. But I think, I think um, that's really that in itself is proof of denial of what makes yeah. us human. And I love that mindset because that's where I was. Like, well, I, I've been there too. I think like, I was the most. <laughs> I could come up with a million reasons why I couldn't meditate and why it wouldn't work for me, and you have no clue the stress that I'm facing. <laughs> like, so. I love it when people say that because that, that's where I began too. And there's a lot of validity for that, right? Yeah. Well, that that's what tells you there's a need, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's right yeah. there. You're like, okay, there you go. Work is not done, yeah. don't we? Um, oh my God, Bob Marley, you know, who 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 who's sending to that effect when you know uh, he was supposed to go on with that hole, and 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 uh, you know he was he was not well. And they said, why don't you rest? And oh, he yes, because he, yeah. Control, right? You know, he says the people that are ruining the world aren't taking a day off. I can't. He said it was right after he was shot. He actually right got from the station. And they were so, like, yeah. 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 So, Nicole, um, I hope you're well rested up because you get like, you're going <laughs> to, you, but like, look at just the way that you're doing it. Like, you'll stay true to yourself. You won't get lost in this. You know, um, you'll, you'll probably get, get more energy out of doing something like this because it's so fulfilling. And, and I'm so glad people like you are out there, you know, breaking through and, you know, in, in areas of law, not really trying to, again, you're not like, uh, you're not, you're not saying that it's not working. It says it's, it's going to work if it's applied this way. And yeah. that's the breakthrough. And it, yeah. it's not only applied in our personal sense, it's also applied in a professional sense. And now it's being applied to an entire industry. So just congratulations on all that you've done and all that you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Thank you guys. You're cool. And it's good to, uh, like I said, it's thank you so much for sharing that story. I think it gives a lot of people insight as to, you know, right from basic things like forget the, the law system, but just being able to work on things like, you know, you talked about AFL code, you know, the uh, that that itself is just helpful to everybody. Yeah. Um, and, and I think and this is a good conversation, too, because like you were saying, this is. This is a culture that's in all professions, I feel, right? A culture of, you know, almost robotic kind of um, showing up to your job and working. And there's kind of a, a, social, a social currency to say, you know, I worked X number overtime or I, I, you know, I had to cancel my vacation and so forth. And I think we see that in every industry and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't work for us as human beings. It doesn't give us optimal outcomes for the businesses that, or the system within. So 
I think yeah. um, I think we're at a, a kind of a, a shifting point, hopefully, yeah. where we're going to be inviting more of of acknowledging what we physically and emotionally need as professionals who are people, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's yeah. not just like you just said, there's the professional side and then there's also the person as well. Yeah, but you, they're, they're, they're one. <laughs> you can't separate them. My problem with being alone was I was separating myself. Yeah. I can't tell people I'm a Reiki master and I love crystals because that's not what a lawyer does. You know, right. I, I can't tell them that I talk to God and sometimes he talks back to me, but that's just weird. You know, so I, I cut all of those, all, all, all of those things, you know, just, and when I eventually said, no, but that's who you are, embrace it, immerse yes. yourself in it, it just felt right. And one other thing with the AFL code that, that is sort of like a precursor to the AFL code is a HALT, H-A-L-T, um, no. and then suddenly feeling really um, triggered is to say to yourself, halt, am I hungry, angry, lonely, tired? Mm -hmm. Any one of those things, you're probably going to have to employ the AFL code because you've just done something that that you need to acknowledge, forgive, and learn. Yeah, that's um, a good one. I know I had the hunger for me. Like, I know. I'm like, I got 45 minutes, guys, or the lid is coming off. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Our commercial that works on that or something. Like yes, that. yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Not gonna, I'm not it's hungry. It makes you hungry. That is totally me. Yeah. But I, I love how you just talked mm -hmm. about like today mindfulness. Really, I think that was the the essence of what we find is that your mindfulness didn't just carry you through from the early lesson you had. It stayed with you, um, and it's like you said, like it's like the happy you know, uh, explanation that you get is like, we're not always mindful, but here's how we come back to being mindful and talking about things like that were, I think, really, really for us. So really appreciate um, the conversation today. And uh, I think we're not done. I think there's more conversation out there. <laughs> I love spending time with you guys. And I have verbal diarrhea, so it's a really good combination for me. <laughs> uh, really, like, what you're saying, uh, I, I mean, you're very humble about it, Nicole, but I think you articulated in such a way uh, that, you know, not just average, like average people like layman can understand but also i think a lot of people can relate to you because of your professional experiences as well so uh thanks for being there with us and, and part of our community really uh, thank you so much. all right then